Welcome to Fitter and Faster. My name is Emma Kate Lidberry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. Each month on Fitter and Faster, we tackle one triathlon training topic in depth, giving you everything you need to know. This month, we're going to be talking about peaking and tapering to race, which is widely considered a dark art and science that can take time to truly get right. We'll be looking at both the physiological and the psychological aspects of tapering, how and why you taper, some of the pitfalls to avoid, and why it can be so easy to get it wrong, both physically and mentally. After we've covered some of the basics, we'll be chatting with Coach Jim Vance, getting some of his top tips on peaking and what he's seen working well with some of his athletes. We'll also be talking with Vanessa Forrester, a mental coach who has helped scores of endurance athletes work on getting their brains and their bodies ready to race. Both Jim and Vanessa have a lot of interesting insights, so stay tuned for those. And of course, it would not be fitter and faster without our gear up section. So we'll have our executive editor and gear guru, Chris Foster, joining us later in the show to talk about some of the best gear and gadgets that can help keep you on track as you peak and taper. All of that after this short break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership includes two magazine subscriptions, two books from Velo Press, exclusive content not just on Triathlete but across all our brands like Velo News, Backpacker and Yoga Journal, online courses like meditation classes from Yoga Journal and meal plans from Clean Eating, event and gear discounts, access to Gaia GPS and one Finisher Picks photo package each year. Outside Plus is the world's best resource for training, nutrition, know-how and how-tos. Find out more at triathlete.com forward slash outside plus. That's triathlete.com forward slash outside plus. Tapering is the name given to the reduction in your training load as you approach a race and prepare your body and mind for all you're going to ask of it on race day. Typically, athletes will drop volume and intensity in the one to two weeks prior to their race. Although this, of course, will vary based on the athlete, their fitness and experience, as well as the distance they're racing. Usually, the longer the race, the longer your taper, although this isn't always the case. See, we told you it could get complicated. But if done well, a taper should tick the following boxes. It should help you to maintain fitness. You don't just want to sit on a couch all day every day in the week leading into a race. As tempting as it might be, this is going to leave you feeling pretty flat and sluggish come race day. A taper should also help you feel fresh and rested, physically, mentally and emotionally. And it should also help you dial in race pace effort. Your final workouts during your taper, although shorter than normal, will feature or should feature a lot of race pace work so you can really dial into what this feels like. And of course, a taper should help keep your body firing. You want to stay sharp, you want to freshen up, which should help lead to greater neuromuscular coordination, which basically means better dialogue between your brain and your muscles. Many top coaches will advocate only tapering once or twice a year for your A races and doing what's known as training through your B or C races, that is, not dropping your training volume too much prior to the race. And this is something we talk about in detail with Coach Jim Vance. Jim is an author, endurance expert, coach and sports tech consultant based out of San Diego, California. He works with a number of pro and age group athletes, with Olympian Ben Canute being his highest profile athlete. Jim references many of Ben's workouts and preferred taper protocols in our chat, which is as fun as it is insightful. So here he is, Coach Jim Vance. Hey, Jim Vance, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Um, Well, it's a beautiful day in San Diego. How are things in Boulder? 
yeah, same, same, really. Uh, it's, yeah, the sun has decided to come out. It looks like summer's on its way. So, uh, yeah, we've got a lot of people thinking about racing and obviously racing already. And with racing comes peaking and tapering, which is uh, what we're what we're talking about today and dig- you know, getting into and digesting. Because um, it can be quite a dark art, right? I mean, there are, I know there are lots of athletes who get it right. There are lots of athletes that get it wrong. And I'm sure for coaches, it can be quite a, um, I don't know, Quite, quite the thing, right? The abyss, the unknown abyss. Of the unknown abyss. Constantly questioning yourself. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get into the the psychological aspects of it later in the show with Vanessa. Um, and but and I know you're, uh, you know, obviously you're more into the the well, obviously you're into the psychological aspects of it too, as a you know a coach that comes with a holistic holistic approach but the physiological side of it is the stuff that we're kind of interested in talking to you about and um i know it's something that you love you love chatting about but so when it um i guess like thirty thousand foot view to start with when it comes to peaking and tapering how many times in a season do you think an athlete can um can realistically and truly peak and taper well, that's a good question, and I think probably anything that we're going to do in this discussion probably needs to start with it depends on the athlete to a degree, but uh, right, yeah. what their focus is. But so I'll try and use some some examples to to kind of give some differences. But you know, I, I think the common the common belief that you can do it about twice a year mm-hmm. uh, is is good. Um, I think the, the higher the peak needs to be. Yeah. Then the then the less number of times you can peak. So, right. so like with Canute, we always look to peak right around the seventy point three worlds. Yep. Um, you know, we we got very good at picking a day on the calendar and saying that's the day when we want to be at our best. Yeah. And perform better than we ever have. Right. And and so you know at the seventy point three worlds you, you can't just treat it like it's a like it's a you know an April race <laughs> you know you've got to you got to really be prepared um, you know the the Tokyo Games uh, should he get selected would be you know a big one for us mm-hmm. um, the, the challenge with with that peak I think every athlete has is you don't even know that you're going to the damn race until about five weeks before. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah so, yeah so, so how do you play it in that in, so i mean obviously this is a very unique very specific example but of interest especially right now how do you play that how do you play that card when you don't know that you, you, you know you don't know that ben's going to be at the olympics but you you make the assumption that he will be and you plan that way yeah we pretty much have been that way since uh, when we started in October of 2016, right mm-hmm. after the Rio games, we pretty right. much made the assumption like, okay, this is what we're going to build towards. This is what we're trying to do. Uh, we've been working a lot on is run speed development, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, short, uh, short, high intense outputs uh, mm-hmm. in the swim, also in the bike for the mixed relay. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, trying to balance uh, with 70.3 work at different times of the year. So, mm-hmm. You know, uh, but I think going, you know, we're going to have to have a lot of confidence that, you know, all that work's going to pay off. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that's, that's part of it. I I think really when you look at peaking as a whole, you want to you want to understand, OK, what is the what's the period that comes before that? Because really mm-hmm. people think like peaking and tapering are the same thing. They're not the right. peak. Yes. 
the peaks got to come a little bit before from a training perspective, the peaks got to come in the, in the weeks before. And the mm -hmm. taper is, is basically when you just unload fatigue on the body and let the person express this fitness that they built. Right. Let um, them freshen, freshen up. Yes. So, yeah. so the peak needs to happen, you know, anywhere from, you know, you know, three to three to one to three weeks out from, mm -hmm. from the race, depending on, you know, how hard it is. Um, I think the longer and harder the race is in the sense of, of duration and demand, uh, then the longer the taper needs to be. So, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, an Ironman versus a, a 70.3 versus a, you know, versus the Olympic games, we're not going to mm -hmm. have time to taper much and you got to stay sharp if you're doing a mixed relay, which is a 20 minute right. race, 22 minute race versus a, uh, you know, a race like a uh, 70.3. So, mm -hmm. so first, you know, you got to understand when you're, when you're actually going to, to have that, that last kind of like, Hey, here's the block of training. That's really going to finalize and set everything up mm -hmm. for that performance. Where does that fall? Mm -hmm. And that's got to really be your focus. If, if you want to execute a great taper, you've got to have great training to come off of with that taper. Right. So, so I, I really look at it from a perspective of, uh, you know, what's, what's our, you know, what's our period that we're going to look at. So we're like with Canute, you know, we'll find out if he's on the team in, in mid June. So right, mm -hmm. right around the 15th mm -hmm. of June or so to speak. Yep. Yeah, and it, it, you know he's he's going to do Arzachena. Uh, actually, this week I don't know when people will listen to this, but uh, Arzachena World Cup, and he'll come off that. He'll that'll be May 29th. He'll take about four days light, uh, mm -hmm. probably two of those completely off, maybe even mm -hmm. three of those four days off, just to mm -hmm. really kind of refresh, and then and then we're going to hit a block to really prepare for Tokyo. And then that block will be about six weeks of work and mm -hmm. he'll probably have pretty much just a one week taper into the games, right. um, the way that it would work. So, so I, you know, so, so even then, if we look at this moving backwards, you've got your taper, then you've got mm -hmm. your block of training. You want to make sure that the athletes coming in fresh for that block of training to actually peak well, to be able to absorb right. the stimulus because if they're already yep. down, then, then you're in trouble. <laughs> and really, instead of peaking, you're more like valleying. <laughs> I guess it would be the opposite. Right. Yeah. Because you can go, you can peak too soon, and then mm. and then come crashing down and just feel sluggish on race day. Mm. But um, so obviously we're talking about Ben Canute there, who's obviously an Olympian and you know very uh, distinguished ath elite athlete. But from an age grouper's point of view, maybe um, somebody who's coming into the sport with a, obviously a lot less experience, um, different goals. Why, what's the importance of tapering for, for somebody like that, for an age group, what's the importance of tapering? Sure. Well, I think, I think the, the main thing is, and this is maybe hard for people to understand, but in a taper, you're actually going to lose a little bit of fitness because mm -hmm. you're, you're, you know, you can't, you can't gain fitness without stress on the body. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why we train, uh, yep. we stress the body, we recover. So, but that, that toll of stress on the body, you know, I think so many athletes become just so used to feeling tired all the time that they forget, mm -hmm. like, you're not really supposed to feel that way all the time. Right. Right. So, yeah. So it's, it's that, it's that refreshing of like, Oh man, I'm here. And you know, now, wow, I can actually go out and I'm, 
performing well. And that's generally mm-hmm. because of the, just the reduction in, of, of volume and, and stress on the body um, mm-hmm. that, that allows them to express what fitness they have. And even mm-hmm. though they may lose a slight amount of fitness, the gains from that reduction of load on the body tend to, tends to uh, more than make up for it. So, right. so that's, that's the main reasoning behind it. Um, and I think, I think also, uh, as, as I, as I like to tell athletes, if we've done everything right mm-hmm. in training yep. and we come to an event that we've, we've said, Hey, this is on this day, we're going to be at our best. Mm-hmm. You know, we should, you know, we should be asking more of our body on that day. Mm-hmm. If you're going to ask more of it than you do in training, well, you got to be able to express that. So you've right. got to make sure that, hey, the body's ready to take on this load and yep. this stress that you're going to ask of it on that day. Right. So uh, if it's carrying extra stress into it, it's that that limits your ability to tolerate that stress on that day. Yeah, yep, yep. So in that case then, what what would, from your perspective, what would a good taper look like in terms of like the structure of race week? Um, or, or maybe, I don't know, say, say let's take 70.3 as an example. Uh, that's often the distance that say ben, somebody like Ben races and um, a distance that a lot of people can identify with. Um, what would a good taper look like for, for a 70, going into a 70.3? And when would, when would you start it? When would you advise starting it? And um, yeah, give us a run through of how that might look. Well, so, you know, one of the things that I've, I've really tried to do with Canute is, you know, and maybe this goes against conventional advice of what I would give an age grouper, but we, mm-hmm. we do things differently going into the 70.3 worlds than we do any other race. Okay. Um, as a whole, you know, we might not taper much at all for, for a race on his schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of live by what we call like the two day rule, which is mm-hmm. we should be able to take two days light. Mm-hmm. And, and if we have two days light, like one day maybe is off, but I mean, overall, those two days are so light. Like he feels like he didn't even train at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that third day should be a home run. Right. And, yep. that, that, and if it's not, that means we're trying to do too much in training. Mm-hmm. And so that, what that's allowed us to do is, is really not have to taper very often for races. He can come right. in with 70.3 or, you know, a major Olympic distance or something like that. And, and just take two light days and pretty much consistently perform very well near his best. Yep. Now, when we come into a race like an Alcatraz that he really wants to win, um, you know, a 70.3 worlds, uh, those types of things. Uh, if it's, if it's, uh, if it's not 70.3 worlds, we generally will take and it, but it's still like, Hey, this is a big, important race. We take a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, so if it's a Sunday race, I even start the prior Sunday. I'll give him one of those days on the weekend off just mm-hmm. to mentally refresh him. Yep. Him have that. And then each day, uh, you know, I think I think for an athlete, you kind of want to stick with what, what's given the athlete confidence during the right. week. Yep. Um, so, you know, if they're running really well, we maybe run just a little bit more, just let them continue to feel that. If yep. they, you know, I think with Canute, he's always one, like, I just want to make sure my swim's on. Mm-hmm. It was on point. So we'll, we'll, we'll have some workouts with that, but basically we'll hit some type of workout generally, you know, I don't stray too much from that two days light going into mm-hmm. the race. So mm-hmm. really that leaves me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Um, so if I've given him Sunday off, I might go Monday, a decent load. Mm-hmm. And then Wednesday is maybe 50% of that load and Tuesday between them is light. 
Yeah. And then we just kind of bring it down as we come to the race from there. So that's, that's, uh, you know, I, I always just try and think, okay, let's, let's bring the load down as we get closer to the race more and more mm -hmm. He's used to and confident in that two days light going into a race. Mm -hmm. So we stick with that, that he, we know he, he trusts and believes in that no matter what he, even if he doesn't feel the best, he's still going to perform well. Yeah. Um, and just use kind of that Monday, Wednesday, uh, I might use it as a Sunday, Wednesday or S Sunday, Tuesday, just kind of depending on, on, you know, have, you know, what's the travel like? Cause travel mm -hmm. is, is another big one that I think athletes yeah. don't really understand that can affect, uh, can affect tapering and even timing of workouts. So mm -hmm. you gotta have some flexibility in what you do, but yeah, if it's the 70.3 worlds, I'm going to taper in for two weeks. I'm going to really back off about two weeks out. Um, wow. Okay. So just because that we know when you come into that, you, you you're, you're <laughs> especially with the way the seventy point three worlds has been lately. It's uh, it's one of those where you've really gotta you gotta be on point, right? Um, and and really near your best. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that. I mean, uh, you know, twenty seventeen getting second, uh, fourth the next year in South Africa and uh, tenth in Nice, which was a little bit of a letdown, but. You know, I felt like, uh, you know, the, it, it wasn't the taper that was really the problem in a lot of ways. It was just, uh, you know, we got beat by better guys and maybe some other things we could have done, but in the training preparation. So I, I think as a whole, the, the, the number one rule should for most athletes should be over rest. Right. It's better to go yeah. in over. Yeah. It's better to go in over rested and under trained than over trained and under underrested right because you can yes. come back you can you can yeah you can come back from that but you can't you can't come back from being completely smashed and overcooked yeah oh for sure i i think i think that's probably the toughest part i had an athlete that i coached for a number of years i'm actually still coaching him now again uh, he was he won he, he was like top overall age grouper at oceanside for a number of years we'd get his cone slot there and go to kona mm -hmm we really had it down where he would just peak for Oceanside mm -hmm. and then he would peak at Kona. So those were two peaks a year, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it generally worked really well for him because uh, then we could even change the training that we did so that, you know, your preparation for a 70.3 is different than your preparation for an Ironman. So right. when you come into the summer preparing for Kona, it's, it's a fresh stimulus. Mm -hmm. um, for him, he was one of these guys like, don't taper me. I don't do well with a taper. Do not oh. me. And all I said to him is, all that tells me is that we just haven't found the right taper for you yet. Yes. So, <laughs> which and we can touch on this in a bit later. But there's also an anxiety, I think, for some athletes around tapering because, like, they're just everybody's so used to moving like all the time. I'm used to doing my three hours of workouts a day. Like, if I'm not doing three hours of workouts a day, holy cow! Well, like, <laughs> ah. So yeah, there's definitely, we can definitely come back to that because I think that's super interesting. But, um, so you touched on there, you talked about volume, like load. Um, but the other two things I wanted to talk about were, um, frequency and intensity when it comes to tapering. Cause like, so the frequency of sessions and the intensity, like the intensity race pace work, that kind of thing. Like, so how, how do you alter those when you're in race week or well, when you're taper, when you're in a taper period, how would you, as a coach for your athletes, uh, how do you view um, frequency and intensity? Well, I think I think part of that too depends on how much has the athlete done in, in getting to where they are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and again, how long is the is the race? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and how hard is that race? So, you know, if if it is something like a sprint or a super sprint, like the mixed relay at the Olympics, mm-hmm. we're probably going to do a lot more frequency and a lot more intensity. It's just what the total volume of what we do in terms yeah. of that intensity is going to be down. We're probably yeah. going to do a lot more to stay sharp. Yeah. Um, if if it's a seventy point three or longer, I kind of feel like you're you're probably you're pretty much either at race intensity or or recovering. Mm-hmm. And even even for an Ironman, I mean, for a lot of athletes, race intensity, uh, especially on a bike or even on a run, isn't isn't very hard, right? Um, you yeah, know, relatively speaking. So so the amount of what you're doing, you can probably do quite a bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, I never try to go over, uh, you know, like a common workout I might do if it's a Sunday race, uh, for a 70.3, I might do on the high end four by eight minutes at mm-hmm. 70.3 intensity with two minutes recovery on, a, on the bike for mm-hmm. an athlete on like Wednesday. Mm-hmm. That's about the most I'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, and then they would probably do a little bit of a uh, little bit of transition work off that. Mm-hmm. But even in the transition work, I'm, I'm giving the athlete flexibility based on how they feel. So I might, mm-hmm. it, they're going to come off that and they're going to run, you know, three times, 10 minutes building to 70.3 intensity. Yeah. So they get to start off that 10 minutes, kind of how they feel, let them find their legs, work into it, get up near that 70.3 for the last few minutes of it and shut it mm-hmm. down. Yeah. Get ready for the next 10 minutes. So really they're not spending a lot of time at that intensity. Yeah. As I, I think too, you have to look at, okay, what's the recovery ability uh, yes, of the yeah. athlete and the session you give. If you're, if you, I think we all agree that running is probably going to beat down an athlete a little bit more. So you want to be very careful in the amount of intensity you prescribe running versus swimming versus cycling. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's probably the, probably one of the big takeaways. Uh, I know if I have an athlete who's, who, who I'm a little worried is, is maybe a, a little a little tired. I'm definitely not going to insert much run intensity into what we're doing. Yeah, because running's generally considered to be the most corrosive, right? And it's going to take the most from the athlete's body and prep in, in the lead into the race versus biking and swimming. Yes, um, I know. Uh, like when I trained, when I swam under Jerry Rodriguez at Tower Twenty Six, like he would, he didn't believe in tapering us very much at all in the water. Like he was like, triathletes don't really swim enough to need to warrant a taper. Like you wouldn't do anything super hard. Uh, well, up to like Tuesday, Tuesday of race week, Wednesday of race week, you'd still be swimming pretty hard, and then you'd mm-hmm. still have a fair amount of intensity and the same the same kind of frequency for for, for the pros, maybe not for um, age groupers, but um, the same kind of frequency and the same kind of intensity almost all the way up to the race, apart from like two days out, I would, I would say, and then it just like cut it a lot. And obviously, different coaches do things differently, but um, I guess. Cool. When, What's that? The two-day rule. He's, yeah. He's, he's yeah. 40 yeah. hours. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I think just to, to also, I, I guess my point being that like to be mindful that the different sports will have different levels of fatigue on the body and you can keep, I think you can, well, I say this as somebody who's been swimming most of my life, but I think, you know, I could always keep swimming pretty hard right up until race day. And if I didn't, then I'd be like, whoa, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing it sounds like Ben's the same too in terms of wanting to keep swimming and keep his, keep his swim on. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that's in terms of training, what about rest and like complete rest, you know, like laying on the couch, 
staying in bed or like you know if you're a race race venue away from home you just like stay in your hotel room and you don't leave the hotel like I, I would have days where I would just be like today I'm not leaving the hotel room unless I absolutely have to I'm not getting off my feet you know so like where do you where do you stand on that like how does complete rest play into um, a, a good taper week uh, or a good taper yeah, period sure I think again you, you want to look at the athlete um you know, I, I tend to like to be the guy too, that I want my athletes to tell me they want a full rest day. Mm. Like if an athlete expresses that to me, okay, it's done, you know, mm. or I like to use it as a surprise mm. and a gift kind of in the chamber. <laughs> like, hey. and, and they're like, Whoa, you gave me a whole rest day. Like a whole rest day. Like I don't have anything to do. And I'm like, yeah, just enjoy it. You know? And, you know, that, that makes them just appreciate it more and happier mm-hmm. about it and and I think embrace it a little yeah. bit more. Um, you yeah. know, I think so many athletes say, oh, I take Monday off every day. Well, yeah, but you're going to work every Monday. <laughs> so, yeah. Or yeah. Every week. So it's, it's not necessarily the same. It's not a real rest day. And that's why I also like to give that rest day on a weekend when I think athletes can be with their families and those types of things. I, I tend to find that that makes that a little more enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, I, I think like going back to what I'm saying though, about getting my athlete to ask for it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll go back to that athlete who said, don't take for me. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'll never forget Oceanside 70.3, um, which was a Saturday race. I mean, I basically kept him training all the way up until Wednesday evening and he had a hard swim and Wednesday evening along with some other work he was doing. And he basically was like, hey, don't you think we should rest for the race? And I'm like, I think we found your taper. <laughs> now, now you're actually, because, you know, kind of moving forward to your psychology part you're going to do is just that belief of, okay, no, I've done the work. Now I've done the rest and I'm ready. So, yeah. and he, he pushed for that. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. And I think I gave him Monday light, Tuesday, Wednesday were hard. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Wednesday, he's like, hey, you know, the race is, couple days away I right. Said, All right well well this is when we shut it down tomorrow's completely off he's like right oh, okay that sounds good and then <laughs> friday he just did his normal routine and then saturday race and he was top age grouper overall and you know had his best race ever and he was like man we found our taper right like, yep there we go so yeah. you know that it's when when the athlete feels like no i need to rest now i think that's you know that that generally too keeps them in touch with you know how their body feels yes which is important especially on yeah going into a race knowing how knowing how things are feeling so why do you think there's some athletes who don't want to taper and who find it um who find it kind of i think some some of them find it nerve-wracking or just like anxiety inducing or something like there's there's obviously a lot of comfort and confidence that comes from doing a certain number of workouts a day, a week, whatever. Um, why, why do you think it is that you, you've got your, your guy who's like, I don't, I don't want to taper like, ah, um, what, what, what's, what's going on there? Well, I, I think history, um, you know, if they've tried certain things certainly is part of that. I, I think there's a lot of folklore around yeah. tapering. There's definitely some witchcraft, some sorcery, some dark arts. Some, exactly. I don't know what it is. 
but yeah, people, I know athletes who like have get stuck in weird superstitions and like, Oh, I wore these socks or I got out of bed this side and I had the magic, I had the magic race. So I've got to keep doing that. You know, like, I, I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. yeah, sorry, Jim, I, I interrupted you with weirdness. No, no, but it's, you know. true. it's true. I, I think, I think, you know, they hear, Oh, you, you always feel like crap. Oh, I felt like crap that one time. And so I, I always dread the taper now. Yeah. You know, or they're too type A that they don't know what to do with their time instead of working. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, I think that's that's a bigger factor than I think a lot of triathletes realize. Like, oh. oh, I usually fill all my hours with swim, bike, run. And now I've got to think about everything else. Ah. Yeah. My, when I was racing, the, the part of the taper that I liked the least was giving up coffee. Oh, you gave up coffee. Oh, well, I, I dabbled I in that, but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, caffeine, you know, probably the best performance enhancing drug in the world. Yeah. You know, especially legally. Um, right. So I would always, I would always come off it for about 10 days and, okay. then, and then race morning, just you know, little six shots, no dose or whatever I needed. I'm exaggerating. Oh. I'm exaggerating, but certainly I was. I was. Don't uh, try this at home, kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those, the you know, I I just hated that that dragging. Like, oh, I just could use a caffeine buzz a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, for part mm-hmm. of it. I think I think yeah. that, uh, and so so there is some truth. Some athletes might feel stale a little bit just because it is a shock to their body that they're right. out of this routine. So yeah. I I think. I think with a with a bigger bigger perspective of what is the overall goal, how mm-hmm. important is this race? Generally, yeah. that overshadows uh, you know those types of things. Um, right. Uh, what, what I tend to find is athletes tend to <laughs> there's there's a lot of athletes that go to Kona that I find they kind of sabotage their own taper because they're out running around on their feet all day. Right. And, they're doing yeah. the underpants run and they're yeah. swimming every day. Well, I got to go yeah. swim at the pier because everybody else is doing that. And I yeah. got to go to the Parade of Nations and I got to go yeah. watch Babbitt's show. And I got to, yeah. you know, it, the next thing you know, like they've been outside in the sun all day on their feet and they're just yeah. like, we're not prepared to race. Yeah. Got to go to the expo, check out every single booth. Yeah, it's really interesting, actually, <laughs> since I've been doing this job and you see it from a media point of view and you have that interaction with athletes pre-race you know and that and some of them commit to so many different interviews and sponsor commitments and you know just all that time when you know and then and then you'll get athletes who'll be just like nope i'm not i'm not doing any interviews i'm not doing any sponsor commitments or i'm doing very few and i'm just going to be inside my hotel room with the ac on my feet up and mm-hmm. um i think yeah obviously there's a fine line you, you have to balance you know, find that balance but um it, yeah it is it is interesting because there's still all that emotional energy that i think you should be recouping and like just letting it absorb that everybody i think that's what some athletes get nervous about is like oh what what do I do? What do I do here? Like, you know, how do I, how do I cope with all this extra energy? Um, right. And as a coach, do you have any athletes that are really hard to, that are really hard to taper because, because of that, you know, they just get too nervous or they get like, there's all this excess energy and they don't know what to do with it. Like, how do you, as a coach, how do you cope with that? You know, I gotta say it's been pretty good for me, but I think that's partly because we've talked about what we need to do, mm. like what the taper should look like. I'm very big on low stress. Yeah. Keep things low stress. Yep. Stress is just stress is a, is the invisible load. 
yeah that, that people carry like you're talking about that emotional part yeah. of it, you know so it, you know what i i generally try to try to find a balance of okay here's what we agreed to here's what you can do um but other than that that's it like we're yeah. we're, we're we're staying low key we're, we're relaxing in the hotel like you're saying or at their yeah. their their vrbo or whatever their house they're renting or yeah. things like that so so those are that's the way I really try to get it. Cause I think then they appreciate what they're doing a little bit more mm-hmm. and it's targeted and low stress, like I say. And you know, if, I mean, if I'm at a race with an athlete, I'll, you know, okay, I'm going to meet you at X time and we're going to go through this and we're, you know, it's very businesslike. So mm-hmm. keeps it, keeps them, keeps them on schedule. I think that's the thing when an athlete doesn't really have a schedule, mm-hmm. uh, that's that stuff. So like when I travel, even with my junior team, it's mm-hmm. like, they know from the time they wake up in the morning till, till they go to bed, exactly what we're doing. Like right. I had a whole itinerary of the day. Here's what you can do. Here's your free time. Here's what you're allowed to do in your free time. You know, you can go to the store, you can get your things to race, but I mean, you know, you, you need bike stuff. We're going to meet me here for that, at, at, you know, put your bike together or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, even, even on race morning, I take away all the stress. Here's your schedule. Here's exactly what you're going to do. From the time you you wake up in the morning on race day till you cross the finish line, right? Um, so I take away all those variables, and and that that tends to just like I say keep things lower stress, keep yeah. them on schedule. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's where athletes get it wrong if if they don't have direction in their taper of yes. what they're trying to accomplish. That's because the taper isn't just about the training. Yeah, it's actually about getting the entire body and mind ready to go. Right. And that's it. And I think that's the the mind part, like where you have to have that, you have to have that mental de-stress and that that, that downtime in order to get the the mind ready to ask the body. The mind has to be ready to, for what you're going to ask of it. Not just, you're not just asking the body to do something special. You're asking your mind to do it too. And I think if you, if you've got that, you know, that's that kind of structure you're talking about in race week for your athletes, I think is the sort of thing that lends itself to recouping and getting and like topping up the battery, if you like, before starting the race. And you need like a race like Kona, you, you've obviously got to have the battery at 100%, anything, anything even f- I think fractionally lower than that. You see, you see that at some point in the race, in the, in the athlete. Um, I remember talking to Siri about this a few years ago and how she, she would always say like, Oh, I, I would know when, Rinny was going to have a great day because she, in the in the weeks leading up to race day, she had taken that time to really, really top up the battery. So like that emotional energy was just like boom, right up there. Mm-hmm. And that's that's when everybody asks her like, how do you how do you get a, how do you win Kona? How do you make a world champion? It's like it's those little secret, it's those little secrets to to tape. Obviously, there's a ton of other factors. It's not just about having a magical taper and resting and getting, you know, getting your emotional energy up there. But that I think that's some of the things that people overlook when it comes to tapering and like that kind of, yeah, that just like fill it, filling up, making sure that the, the body, mind and soul are ready to go, not just the body. It's not just a train. Like you say, it's not just about training. Well, um, and, and like I said, too, the, the higher the goal. Mm. So, like how hard is, is, is accomplishing your goal going to be? And when right. you go to a place like Kona or you go to the 70.3 world championships, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're off by a little bit, I yeah. mean, you're, like you're saying, it's, it shows because the competition is so high. Yeah. It's yeah. Just that, you know, I, 
I, I you know, the 2018 World Championships in in South Africa when Canute got fourth. You know, I think a lot of people say that was the greatest 70.3 in history mm-hmm. on the men's side, anyway. And you know, we knew it was going to be tough to beat the the, the big three, mm-hmm. Rodano, Brownlee, and Gomez. Yeah, but we knew like okay, they're going to expose cracks in each other's armor. You know, mm-hmm. something something's going to go wrong in that race for one of them, mm-hmm. maybe two. And we thought, okay, so let's try and get a podium spot. Let's see, you know, or maybe all three of them blow up. But and I remember just watching that race and, and Canute, the whole goal was just keep contact. Just mm-hmm. something will go wrong. One of them's going to have a crack in the armor. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, Gomez starts walking. Dude, I don't mm. remember that. And, mm. I, and I was like, this is it. This is the moment. Like, it's happened. Like, can we pounce on this moment and, and get it done? Yeah. And unfortunately, we couldn't. But, you know, that it's like it's just that that little crack in the armor. I mean, when was the last time people saw Gomez walking at a 73 World Championship? Right. I mean, yeah, that's, that's going to happen so, never. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the confidence and the, you know, that you have to have in like, those moments in that race for the pace those guys were running, you know, I, it's, you know, I would say the longer the race, Ironman, especially 70.3, maybe not so much, but Ironman is mm-hmm. such an emotional roller coaster of a race. Yeah. You know, that you, you know, that, that stress, like you're talking just the emotional, you know, having that, that battery filled up and you, you have to be ready for the highs and the lows because things are going to go wrong in that race. I don't yeah. care who you are and how well you yeah. can handle that, you know, how fresh you are mentally, how yeah. physically, you know, able you are. Uh, I mean, that's, that's as much what the tapers for just to prepare yeah. you for those moments like, okay, or, you know, can you, you know, when this happens, can you, can you take advantage or can you manage through something like that? Right. And you have no way of knowing, right? Short of getting a crystal ball, you have no way of knowing what that, what that thing is going to be, but you have to be ready to react to it. And I think the longer the race, the the crazier or funkier that thing could be, right? So like mm-hmm. you say, the man, like, yeah, be ready because the highs are going to be super high and the lows are going to be pretty dreadful more than likely. And, and the longer the race, there might be multiple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm actually just thinking, I'm, I'm now just like from a personal point of view, I'm just sitting here thinking like I'm, I'm training for Leadville 100 trail run. Uh, in August, and I'm like, and that's going to be the best part of like 24 hours. I don't know what. So I'm like, oh gee, yeah, I need to, I need to make sure my battery's full. Gee, I've got between now and August to, yeah, get some miles in and uh, make sure that some dark places, <laughs> some very dark places. Yeah, I'm already getting scared now. I'm kind of scared, but also excited. You know, like how do you, yeah, how do you get ready for something like that? And I think it's the same as Iron Man. It's like you don't get, you don't get entirely ready for something like that, but you just have to be ready. Mm-hmm ready to cope with whatever the race throws at you. Um, so can I ask and, you a question? What, what yeah. are some of the taper things that you learned in Ironman that you're going to carry over well in your 70.3 days to do and all that that you're going to carry over into your Leadville prep? Oh, just as we're talking about, uh, as, as you were just talking about structure and scheduling and stuff like that, that's something that I always fell down on, I think. Um, it's like wasting energy, wasting ex- energy, um, doing things that weren't actually... Like, look, let's look at the goal of the race and then let's look at the things that are absolutely critical to the mission. Mm-hmm. Like what's mission critical here and what, what's just fluff. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something, so in terms of, so maybe that's not necessarily answering your question, but like something I've learned since racing is that 
and, and since interviewing so many athletes who have, you know, like, you know, Siri, Rini type duo, like, oh yeah, look there, that's the, that's the mission critical part here. So I'd say things I've learned, uh, I would, I'll keep frequency pretty high. Cause I, I, I'm one of those athletes that, um, likes to keep moving and yeah, there's, there's like a mental physical connect there that helps, helps me, I think, stay calm. Um, but I think other things that I will carry, I will definitely make sure that there's, there's, there's things that I do, or I don't know exactly what those activities might be, but just things that, um, do feel, do lead to me being like the battery being fully charged. Um, I think I'm still, I'm actually, I've been joking with a lot of people. I'm still training. I'm kind of training for level like a triathlete still. I still bike and I still swim and I still lift. So I think I'll still keep swimming and like, you know, all of Jerry, all of Jerry's philosophies are kind of ingrained in my brain. So I think a lot of those things I'll, um, you know, so the frequency of you know, swim, I'll still, I'll still keep up. Um, but I think also, and this is probably something we'll talk, I'm sure we'll touch on with Vanessa later in the show, like visualization and like when you do, so we, like we were just saying, we don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen in Leadville on August 21st, 22nd. And obviously people racing 70.3 worlds this year or what Kona, they don't know what's going to happen on race day. But like when, when the shit hits the fan, like what, how are you going to cope with it? Um, whatever, whatever, like X, Y, Z thing that is going to be like, how are you going to cope with it? And, uh, I think having those things like firmly lined, my best races were the days where I had those things, those answers to those questions firmly lined up way before the gun went. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, I, I, yeah, I think that's like just nailing the, the, the physical work's all done. It's like, like you say, the taper is, the mental part is this it's not necessarily what happens in your muscles it's like what's happening between your ears i think is the is the key to um the good taper so yeah i agree i think i think so many athletes are hung up on well i've got to do this workout or no i can't i can't run every day for 30 minutes or i can you know that would be too much it's like if one to two workouts or a little bit of this or that is there's the difference between you having success on race day or not it's mm-hmm. not the tip it's the problem yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard it, it's not hard to remove stress and load from the body it really right. isn't you right know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The workload you're doing so it yeah. doesn't have to be this this oh well it's kind of be you know yes there are some things that are proven stay sharp every 72 hours at least you mm-hmm. want to try to you know rev the engine a little bit yeah. I mean, those are some good principles, physiological principles. But yeah. other than that, it, it really is about what makes you comfort comfortable. You like you're saying, you're, you're a frequency just to just kind of burn off that that stress and that nervous energy. It's like that's yeah. that's an important part of of unloading that stress on the body. Right. Yeah. So I, I think so many so many athletes get lost in the weeds of oh well, it's got to be the perfect taper workouts. All it's like. If you need perfect workouts to have a great race, then in your taper, like whoa, you're like you you messed up a long way before the taper started. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. And then carrying carrying that kind of framework into a race too is going to be hard because if everything you know you've got to be flexible, versatile, adaptable. You know, mm-hmm. not everything's going to go perfectly in in your race, especially Ironman. Well, as we're talking about, the longer the race, the more craziness happens. You know, so yeah, that's a good. I think that's a good point to make too. Is like you've got to be flexible um and listening to your body in 
in during your taper is really really not listening not listening to it to the point of like oh my god i feel sluggish this is going to be a terrible day but like listening to your body in terms of like oh i actually do feel fatigued maybe i need to back off here and not nail like all these race pace intervals today but yeah um yeah jim this has been a fascinating conversation i've kind of yeah it's kind of reawakened my um the racer in me now so yeah cool so <laughs> thank you but yeah you oh i've got 12 weeks i've got 12 weeks oh yeah so, oh, you're still about to hit the big block so yeah yeah how long is the taper gonna be i don't know jim so what should my taper look like for a 100 mile trail run, trail run race well, I don't have much experience with 100-mile runs at 11,000 feet, so... Uh, <laughs> Nor do I. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think... I, I think also I'd ask you, what's your goal? Just to make it. Just make, make it to it. the finish line. Okay. Yeah. So then you don't have to be... A, a, you know, you, there's a couple of things. You can stay sharper and just use it more as a training day, or you can even go a little bit longer in your taper because, you know, that... I think again, the, the the more important the goal, then the uh, then the more you kind of want to just just rest enough, mm-hmm. be able to express it without losing as much fitness, but a little bit of fitness loss, a little more, uh, you know, it, like we said, airing on the side of uh, being being over rested is a lot better. Yeah, so I think you're looking at at least two weeks, probably yeah. you know no more than three. Yeah. Um, uh, since you train like a triathlete too, the the wear and tear on your body probably isn't as high. So you, I'd probably say you're in that uh, week or two week range. Two weeks, yeah, yeah. Um, I might go with a ten day. At, you know, if you're like two weeks, just feels a little too long. Go about ten days out. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome, Jim. I do appreciate the advice. And I think uh, everybody listening today will have uh, for sure learned something. And the taper, I think the taper and the, the peaking thing will always um, have some some witchcraft and some mystery and some, yeah, some sorcery around it. But um, I think you've definitely helped unpack a lot of it um, in, our, in our chat today. So thank you very much for joining us. And we appreciate your time and expertise. Sure. Thanks for having me. Great, great chat. Cheers. Vanessa Forster is a mental endurance coach who works with athletes to help them learn and fine-tune their psychological and mental skills. She is also the founder of the Diversify Triathlon Movement, a movement designed to help bring more black, indigenous people of colour into the sport. In our chat, we talk about many of the mental and emotional tools and strategies she helps athletes work on and improve, not just for racing and tapering, but all season long. It's a super interesting chat in which I definitely learned a lot. Okay. Here's our chat with Vanessa. Vanessa, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We're super excited to chat with you today as yes. a mental endurance coach who uh, who helps so many people get all the things right between their ears. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. So um, I was talking to, we earlier in the show, we've been talking to Jim Vance and uh, time and again, we were, obviously we were talking about the physiology of, of tapering and peaking. But time and again, we kept coming back to it's not the muscles, it's the stuff between your ears that's mm. super important when um, it comes to getting things just right when it comes to tapering, peaking, and performing on race day. Um, so as a mental endurance coach then, do you want to uh, just guide us through how how you help athletes with this side of performance? Because it's obviously such a huge part of, yeah. of uh, racing and performing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you kind of nailed it when you were talking about most athletes understand the concept of peaking and tapering in their physical mm-hmm. training, especially if yeah. they have a coach and you know they, they have like their build cycles and their peak cycles and they understand that. But a lot don't know that you should really be doing the same in terms of a mental and emotional side of training. So you know, the peak phase of our physical training is when we're, you know, handling the biggest loads, dealing with the largest amount of fatigue physically, which often can be met with some of our biggest doubts and worry Mm -hmm. and uncertainty, which then kind of magnifies and taper, right? If we're going from peak to taper, because that's when our mind kind of starts to wander off. And so what I do with athletes first and foremost is not let them ignore it, not let them ignore that that's what's coming up. We have to bring it to the surface during peak. We have to be willing to see those things. What I like to say Mm -hmm. is kind of shine a light on them as if we Mm -hmm. had a flashlight in a dark room. Mm -hmm. Just like we hit some of our biggest volume then, we have to be willing to come face to face with what we're experiencing mentally and emotionally. So we find the doubt, we question it, we challenge it, and we create a a greater sense of confidence internally Mm -hmm. and externally. So that's kind of like the greater scope of what we do. Mm-hmm. And what are some of those issues then? I mean, I'm sure it can be it can be like super diverse. But what are some of the issues then that come up for athletes in in this peak when they're in their peak phase of training, from a mental stamp or emotional standpoint? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes back to some of those stories that have kind of been in our heads for a, a long time of you know mm-hmm. not doing enough, not being enough, mm-hmm. and when we start to carry that that bigger load in peak and we uh, some of that worry starts to set in. Um, then we almost, I think the best way to describe it is believe those stories more. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it also is founded in maybe a bit of distrust that the training is working, but basically when we're at that peak stage, we're vulnerable in different, in a different way, emotionally, you know, Mm -hmm. we, we are challenging ourselves physically in ways that maybe we haven't before, if we're taking on bigger Mm -hmm. volume or bigger intensity. And with that, we're challenging ourselves to hit a new performance level, level, become a different version of ourselves. And if we haven't really acclimated to that version mentally and emotionally, then mm-hmm. that's where the doubt comes. Right. That's very, yeah, that's very interesting. I hadn't thought of it from that point of view before. Um, and so, so what are the, some of the things that you do to help people work through those, you know, obviously in, in the peak phase so that they are ready for them when they come in the taper phase? Cause mm. I think it's like a taper phase when some people can really face some of those like, mental and emotional monsters right because yeah. they have all this extra time on their hands <laughs> so what are they what are some of the things that you do to help people like some of the actual kind of i don't know uh, tools or, or tricks or tactics that you you can use to help people in these phases yeah um it's almost like what we do physically when we're like sharpening right when we're when we're you know kind of revving the engine a little bit physically mm-hmm. And one of the things that we can do mentally is spend some time revisiting is in like reading through, um, Mm -hmm. creating a training bank and reading through a lot of the training sessions that went well, right? Like Mm -hmm. remembering what's gone well in our training because we think we're going to remember, but we never remember. We never remember. We always remember what didn't go well, what we missed, what came up, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the human brain is kind of trained to do that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. it's part of the motivational triad. How it's designed is always to scan the world for what's not going well and where we're kind mm-hmm. of missing the mark, especially if we've got high performance goals. So we're mm-hmm. always thinking about how far we have left to go versus how far we've come. And so one of yes. the things that we can do in that in that peak phase is revisit, like think about consciously spend the time thinking about the training sessions that went well, and not even that we just like 
hit the marks perfectly, but maybe we overcame something. Maybe we had a training session that was out in, you know, rain or wind or mm-hmm. just a different type of, you know, weather circumstance. And we dug in in a way that we never have before and showing ourselves right. and showing our brains that we train hard pretty much all the time. Yeah. And so, you yeah. know, that's one of the things we do. And um, also just anchoring again in the trust that we have in our training and really mm-hmm. coming back to that and letting that be a theme that's showing up throughout that peak phase is super, super, super important. Yeah, that's interesting because my next question to you was going to be about the importance of trusting in your training and how that can carry. So when you've come out of these huge, big blocks of, of training, you've done your peak blocks, you've, you know, you've done your builds, you've done... Um, so t- remembering all of that and trusting in it and how important that is to then carry through into your peak. And I guess that, uh, sorry, into your taper. Mm-hmm. And that's where some of the confidence comes from or some of the confidence should come from on race day, right? Absolutely. I, like trusting in your training is everything. And it's mm-hmm. not just trusting that the actual workouts that you're doing, like, you know, the swim, bike, run, or whatever your workouts look like, that they're the exact workouts that you need to hit your goals, but trusting in the process as Mm -hmm. we zoom out a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. Like we think in these like shorter timelines, like race to race to race. But if we zoom out and allow ourselves to see bigger picture and trusting Mm -hmm. in the process as a whole, we can Mm -hmm. again, gain like greater traction in that confidence that what we're doing is working. Yeah. Really being conscious and intentional with that. Yeah. So, you know, like from a, from a physical point of view and from, from a training point of view, we all know, we, we all, anybody who's done triathlon for a little while knows what a taper week looks like or a taper period, whether it's a week, 10 days, two weeks, whatever. Um, what does, but from a mental and emotional standpoint, what does a taper look like? Like, what does a good taper look like? You know, um, obviously there aren't, there aren't race pace workouts. There aren't, <laughs> but, um, although, or maybe there are, you know, so like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested from a, from, from your standpoint, from when, when you're working with athletes, what's a mentally and emotionally, what's mm-hmm. a good taper look like? Yeah. I think that there are a couple things that are a couple things that are really useful to use your time mm-hmm. on mentally and emotionally in taper. And there are definitely some things to not be doing Right, <laughs> because there's yeah. things that really can work against you in taper, just yeah. like, you know, overdoing your training or pushing mm-hmm. too hard or taking an easy session too hard or, mm-hmm. you know, spending more time standing up on your feet, painting your house. It's not something you should yeah. be doing during taper. Right. And there are also things you shouldn't be doing mentally and emotionally, but the things that you should be doing is again, revisiting, the training that has been working, right? And um, what I call your training bank. That's what I I call it with the athletes I work with, like revisiting that. Um, Also spending time training your brain to be thinking what you want on purpose. So we all Mm -hmm. have our default tracks, our stories that we've been believing for a really long time. Some of those not super useful, especially when we're going to a big event that's going to kind of deplete us physically and mentally in terms of the energy. So we've got to be using that time to really train the brain to be thinking what we want on purpose and, and with purpose. Um, and then the other thing is, is doing a little bit of work in like thinking about the race from start to finish. So, Mm -hmm. um, I do my own kind of version of visualization work. It's called working Mm -hmm. with the future self. And that's one of the things that it's, it's, you're primed and ready for it in taper, but it Mm -hmm. is also really important to have done that work prior to taper. So doing it like early on in the, in the season or before your race, you know, a couple months beforehand so that when you get to taper, it's almost like you're reminding yourself 
what yeah. you're already kind of practicing throughout training. Yeah, you're not trying to learn something new. You're just exactly. honing something you've already learned. Exactly, yeah. which is exactly what we do with our physical training, right? We're not right. relearning the sport. We're just kind of like sharpening and, and like honing it in and getting ourselves yeah. primed and ready. Same thing. Yeah. 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 So what did you call it? You, call, you called it your... Future self. Future yeah. self. Okay, yeah. so tell us a little bit about that and, and what that looks like and how you would help somebody implement that into their day-to-day -day training. Yeah. So there's a lot of research that backs the importance of visualization. And mm -hmm. um, I think there's different avenues you can take with it. But I like to take a little bit of a different spin on it because it allows us to be connected to basically like this future version of us mm -hmm. instead of just separating who we are now from who we who will be going through the race we think about ourselves as that person that's accomplished the goal on the mm -hmm. other side of the race so maybe your goal is to you know finish the ironman or podium or kona qualify and mm -hmm. when you're spending the time actively thinking about it you are as that person that's already smashed that goal Mm -hmm. And so not only being that person, but feeling as that person, because the reason that we do things in life is for the emotional state that we're going to achieve. We don't race right. for the hat or the shirt or the medal. Like those are cool, whatever we can hang them on our garage, <laughs> but we don't race for that. We race to yeah. feel a sense of uh, accomplishment, achievement, right. success. And you can tap into that whenever you want. And it's actually really beneficial to tap into that early on. Like I said, you know, a couple months before the race, to really use that emotion as something that fuels your training and has you really um, like centered into how you want to feel at the finish line. So we mm -hmm. do that a couple months and we kind of also go back to, to that work throughout the training. And then in, in taper, again, as you mentioned, it's like honing it in. It's like, oh, I've been here before. I've worked. Yeah. I know this version of me. Right. And I'm going to get reconnected to this version so that when I get to race day, I'm just like ticking it off I'm just going through it and, and making it happen and creating it for myself yeah and how do you and and how do you advise athletes uh do that like is it is it visualizing the race from start to finish you know like a videotape of 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 themselves that future self you know on the race course swimming t1 biking t2 run finish line like is it is it that chronological or what's yeah tell us a little bit about well, the that's a really good question because as detailed, it can be more detailed for people that kind of thrive on the details. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of coaches that recommend, you know, creating a race plan, which I also definitely recommend and having your race plan include not just like what you'll be eating for breakfast, but also yeah. the mental side of it. Like, what are you going to be thinking intentionally? What are you going to be feeling intentionally? Yeah. And so you can get detailed with the race plan and then you can be as detailed as you want when you're thinking about the actual race day. But the like, honestly, my, my favorite way to approach this work is to actually write a letter from your future self to your current self. Oh, so it's cool. a little bit of a trick, right? So it's the version of you that's crossed the finish line, accomplishing the goal. And that version of you is going to give yourself now some advice. Huh? And so okay. again, you get to tap into that emotion. Like, what is she feeling? What is she experiencing? And I'm just using the she pronoun because I'm speaking about myself. Like, what is she experiencing at the finish line? And then what advice would you, would, would she give me now at this moment in my training? Maybe that's a couple months out. Maybe that's a taper, right? Mm -hmm. Because she's the one that knows how okay, it feels. Cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here and, and then say, okay, give us, give us an example. Like what, what if you were writing a letter to yeah. you, like you, if you were doing this for you, for yourself today, what would that, what would that look like? So I have a goal to qualify for Kona and I am in Arizona. 
And so the way that I have, and I've already done this because I know it's months out, but I do this, Mm -hmm. you know, super far out for myself. And I have like sat myself down and thought about what it's going to feel like to achieve this goal on the other side of the finish line. Like for Mm -hmm. me, it's going to be this sense of like hyper accomplishment having done this because I'm also racing Kona this year. So it's six weeks later, I've never done a back to back. So it's Mm -hmm. a different level of accomplishment than I've ever done before. And also this like fun kind of giddiness, Mm -hmm. knowing that I did all of the work and I raced like to, I did everything that I could on the day. I put myself out there and I raced as like as best as I could. So when I talk about it in this way, I don't know if you notice, like I get like worked up about it, right? Like you can hear the emotion in my voice. I'm so tied into it because I can create the visualization. I can create myself at that finish line. And Mm -hmm. so from this place, I gave myself some, some advice, like in terms of how to approach my training, right? Like making sure that I'm not just focusing on the swim bike run, but I'm also focusing on my recovery aspects. Like make sure Vanessa, that you're getting at least eight hours of sleep at night because you know (laughs) how important it is. You're not very fun to be around if you don't get at least eight hours of sleep, right? right? And you're not recovering. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're not recovering from your training. Make sure that you're getting in, you know, that protein shake within 30 minutes of your, of your session. Also Mm -hmm. remember that what you're doing is working. Your training Mm -hmm. is always working for you. It's not working against you. Like if you ever have questions about your training, just ask, like ask for that next challenge, put yourself out there, always go for your best in every session. So I'm just like giving you examples of like, I'm pulling this from the letter that I wrote myself from that finish line. And it's just a more informed way to connect in this like emotional way to the version of me that's accomplished my goal of Yeah, I really like that. That's super cool. And I like that kind of projection too, I think. Because I'm sure, I'm no expert, but I'm sure like a lot of things happen like physiologically, emotionally in your body when you start thinking about, oh, this is what it's going to feel like if I nail that goal. Yes. Like, the, the process goal, the outcome goal, all the things. Like Exactly. I'm sure on, on many levels, like there's a lot of things that happen there. Yeah, because um, your brain also I'm, doesn't know the difference. And so mm-hmm. if you put yourself there, like mentally, and really think about how that feels and what you'll yeah. be thinking as that person, you become that person because it's never really about the goal. It's about who you're becoming. And so when you practice becoming that person, tapping into that future self, you're even more connected. Yeah. 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 So when it comes down to like the mechanics of taper week, um, not not mechanics, but like the day to day existence of an athlete in taper week, right? Mm -hmm. Let's take your classic or, or, you know, a traditional type A triathlete who is used to training X number of hours a week. And then on taper week, obviously that, that volume is cut in half or maybe less and they have all this extra time on their hands and a common thing that we hear about is athletes who just panic or get super anxious or get very nervous or like use all this extra time when they i don't know when they would they could be doing all number of things but they kind of sometimes they just get caught up in their head or they get what i mean i'm guessing that's probably something you see a lot of as in your line of work but also how do you help people you know prevent that from happening yeah, I, I think it is very, very common. And I, one of the things that I, I want to challenge people that feel as if taper is the time where they kind of let their brain go wild um, mm. is to be willing to challenge that being your normal. Because just because you've experienced it in the past or just because all of your training partners are freaking out in taper or having you know race brain, doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that you have to. 
right? right? Like we get into these familiar states where we're like, oh, it's the week before I have race brain. I forget all the things. And we also don't realize that that's a choice. You can literally redefine what race week looks for you, looks like for you. And that's what I would challenge people to do. And that's what I did for myself, having not raced in, you know, 14 months before I did St. George 70.3. I just refused Mm -hmm. to make this that week beforehand be the week that I like forget all the things or, you know, like really believe that just because I've raced for so long, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Like that in itself is a choice. So I think the biggest thing to come back to is like you you can decide just to redefine, redefine it for yourself and also use the time to remember what you know is true about yourself as an athlete and about the training that you've done, which is another way of saying trusting your training, trusting your Mm -hmm. training, but take that time to even like write it down, right? Like who am I as an athlete? What do I know about myself? Don't spend that time looking at Strava. Or looking at Biblis. Oh my goodness. If I could like wipe one thing off the list that we do during race week, like the athletes I work with, they're not allowed to look at Biblis. It's just why right. would you waste that mental real estate when you're already in this vulnerable spot, right? To look at things mm-hmm. that you know are triggering. We all know yes. they're triggering. It doesn't even matter yeah. how well you are at like mental and emotional states. It's always triggering. So that's yeah. not the time to look at it because the reason that yeah. we do that is because your brain is like seeking this level of confirmation. Right. So let's Because confirm. it's about to be challenged. It's about to be yes. put, your, your body and your mind are about to be put on the line. Exactly. And here we are. And that makes you vulnerable. And you, you're looking for validation, I guess, in some way or uh-huh. some kind of confirmation that, hey, I'm going to be safe. It's going to be all right. Yeah. And you don't necessarily find that on Strava you or Biblist or. <laughs> but you can find it if you're, if you're revisiting the sessions that went well, where you overcame yeah. something difficult or, you know, having a conversation with your coach that reminds you all the work that you've put in, that's how you confirm something that's useful. Right. And that is the perfect time to do it. Right. And so really then we're just saying, I mean, on a, in a simple, in a simpler way, we're really saying look inwards versus look outwards. Mm, Like don't, don't be, don't be looking at Strava. Don't be looking at or doom scrolling, whatever you want to, you know, be doing or wasting energy, doing something outside of you when you actually, all the things that you need are, right here in, well, I'm pointing at myself, but for the sake of people who are listening only and not watching me, um, I'm saying like all the things that are within you, not without, you know, not outside of you. And I guess that's probably a very important thing to do and remember. That is in, it. Yeah. That's in it. Training. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is so much like spending that time on the internal environment as much as you're on the external environment, but in that state, absolutely. I love the way you put that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so then on race morning, just, just a to, to final question on race morning, when people are feeling super nervous, it's race day, like the gun hasn't gone yet, but it's, you know, it's imminent. What are your, what, what are some tips that you um, give athletes that you work with for like, just keeping focus, keeping calm. Um, like it's the end of table week, you've done all the work. Mm-hmm. It's ready to, it's time to go. How do you, what happens? How yeah, do you keep, I, how, do, how do people stay on, on track? I have two two um, reminders for mm-hmm. all the athletes I work with. I mean, there's, there's plenty of others, but two that I think are the most important on race morning, because again, mm-hmm. that's, that's the time where our brain starts to, you know, <laughs> use our imagination for the worst way possible, which is called worrying. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> worry is the worst way to use your imagination. Try not to do that. But we, we worry about what could go wrong. So reminding yourself that you're a championship problem solver, like you mm-hmm. are you are a powerful problem solver. It's part of being a multi-sport athlete. Like you cannot be right. a multi-sport athlete without being a problem solver. So remembering mm-hmm. that you're a powerful, powerful problem solver. So if anything does go wrong, you'll figure it out, 
right? Yeah. And that I like the it. only thing that you can control is your focus in the current moment. Mm-hmm. Because we spend all of this time thinking about, you know, what does our training look like up until this point? And then what could happen on race day? Like, could I get a flat? Will this person pass me? Where will I end up? What place am I going to be? And right. we forget that the only the only moment that needs, the only thing we can control, again, is the current moment. So taking it yeah. back there, and yeah. especially if it, you're doing long course, it's such a long day. There's so yeah. much that needs your focus, right? Your pacing, yeah. your nutrition, yeah. your hydration, like that's where your focus should be. And that's yeah. what you can control. And it's such a powerful place to be in that present moment. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much for all of that. That's really helpful. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will gain gain a lot from that. So um, we appreciate your your expertise and your time and uh, wish Absolutely. you well for achieving all your goals this year. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. It's happy to be here. Cool. Thanks, Vanessa. You're welcome. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to subscribe to Triathlete Fitter and Faster wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you hear. Rate and review us as it helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. Next up, we're joined by Chris Foster, our executive editor here at Triathlete and resident gear guru, who's going to talk us through some of the gear and gadgets that can truly help you nail your taper. Okay. Hello, Chris Foster. Welcome. We've got the gear guru in the house. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm good, EK. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah. So we are, uh, we're going to be, well, we've been talking all about tapering, peaking for racing. And uh, obviously when it comes to the the gear guru and his gear gadgets, um, I guess, uh, I know one of the things that you were keen to talk about here was heart rate variability and uh, the, the role that can play when it comes to uh, obviously not just for tapering, but, you know, recovering really anything after any kind of key, key workouts, um, keeping your training on track and obviously progressing your training through from block to block and then into your taper. Obviously the role that HRV plays, heart rate variability can be quite significant, but it's still, you know, it's, it's trending. It's definitely one of those big, big things out there in the, in the endurance space. Um, but there's all, as we were just saying offline, like it's also one of those one of those things that some people still haven't really um, dived, you know, really got into, and not everybody knows, you know, a whole ton about it. So um, I know you were keen to kick off your gear, your gear gadget, your gear guru section today by talking, <laughs> telling us a little bit about Hari variability and how it can help us with tapering and and training. Yeah. So you know, when we think about gear, um, a lot of times we're thinking about you know bikes and wheels and things that make you go fast and. Right. Know, they look pretty and, you know, you can touch them and they're carbon and, and um, you see them in transition and things like that. Um, and those are great things. Like I love fast wheels. I love fast bikes. I love super shoes. They're all fun. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of stuff that co- kind of goes on behind the scenes where it's like those things will help make you faster. Um, but, you know, the reason we train is to make ourselves faster. Like mm-hmm. we want to be faster and then you mm-hmm. can build, you know, you can get the nice fun stuff around that. Um, and you know, you can't make yourself faster as I'm sure Jim, uh, talked about, you know, if you're not recovered properly, if you're not ready for the day when you need to go fast and that, and that can look like, you know, the day I need to go fast as a race or the day I need to go fast as a key workout. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in some senses, what we're going to talk about with HRV and, um, you know, later some other things, um, can be applied to not just your taper week for a race, um, but for like keying in on a big session or after a big session where you're just like, I'm blown out. Why, why am I not recovering? So on and so forth. Um, Yeah. 
because the key uh, one of the things that Jim uh, talked about a lot was the, the obviously training stress and yep. you know the, we we're always looking for the body we're always looking to stress the body with training but then adapt right and then it's really where this is really where like HRV comes into its own when you're looking at that adaptation and you're looking at how the body's recovering and bouncing back and recovering and bouncing back in order to go and do more work so yeah absolutely it's, it's crucial um, and yeah. you know in some ways it's more important than those you know sexy wheels and you know sexy bike oh, yeah. because yeah. you know if, if you're not doing that right you're basically just you know, I, I always say there's a difference between working out and training. Working mm -hmm. out is just like, you know, getting movement, being healthy, being active, maybe trying to lose weight or, you know, whatever, change your lifestyle. But training is going towards something, right? Yeah. Like you're training towards a goal. Um, yeah. HRV is a big part of that. Um, and, and kind of the caveat before we get in, I'm going to have to get into a little bit of kind of techie stuff, not techie, but sciencey stuff. Um, the thing oh, no, about HRV, science. I mean, yeah, brace yourselves, buckle up. Um, <laughs> But I'll keep it simple and quick. Um, HRV is something right now that not a lot of people use as a number. Like mm -hmm. it's not like your heart rate zone. I mean, some people do, um, but it's not like a heart rate zone. Like, okay, I'm at 145 BPM. You know, I need to go higher, lower. I'm in the zone or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Generally, HRV is kind of chugging along in the background. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because there's a lot of variabilities to it. A lot of variabilities to heart rate variability variability. There you go. Yeah. So all sorts of things. Um, so traditionally, you know, like I was just saying, heart rate has been the thing that we use for training and in some senses recovery. You know, your yeah. resting heart rate is low, yeah. you're recovered. Your resting yeah. heart rate is high, something's off, you know, you're, you're stressed for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, HRV, you know, heart rate variability kind of takes that to another dimension. You know, if, mm -hmm. if heart rate is, you know, one or two dimensions, this would be like the third. Um, and, and so it actually looks at not just how fast your heart is beating, but the time between each beat. Right. Um, and, and interestingly enough, like I would think like when I first started learning about this, I would think you want your heart to be like a drum, like mm -hmm. your little, your little heart ventricles or whatever, are marching to the same beat every time, you know, in lockstep. Mm -hmm. Um, and that would be low heart rate variability. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, but that's actually, they found not a good sign for you. Right. You want them less being like a, like a, you know, band leader marching to a beat and more like, a, I don't know, like a jazz drummer. Like, okay. I'm enjoying the music analogies today. Chris. I, I know. Bringing it all. I got science, music, you know, this is multi, multi-dimensional um, learning here. Uh, but you know, you want, you want to have, you know, different variability or different spacings between each heart beat itself. Yeah. Um, and now that we have more sensitive heart rate monitors, we can look at that. Um, yeah. so, so to get to back it up a little bit, um, scientists have found out that this, this variation is controlled by the autonomic, autonomic nervous system. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to go with ANS because that's so much for me to say. Autonomic nervous system. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Excellent. Um, you know, part of our brain uses the ANS to send signals to our entire bodies. And mm -hmm. when the ANS is imbalanced, you know, something like just general life stress, you know, work is getting down or you're not sleeping enough or you're mm -hmm. over, you know, you're overreaching with your workouts. Um, our bodies go into that kind of red zone. It's mm -hmm. like a flight or flight, fight, flight or fight. I just can't talk today. Flight or fight response. <laughs> um, and this, this is, you know, this feels like, oh, that's good. You want to be flight or fight, but it's actually no, bad. No, that's not good. Right. Like no. you're, you're like getting close to animal mode and not like yeah. beast mode, but like 
being chased by a predator. Yeah, yeah. like bad, like not not sustainable. Um, you're not going to do a triathlon in that mode very well. Um, yeah. You know, you might get away from something for 10 seconds, but you're not going to race well. Um, right. So when we get into that red zone, we have that low heart rate variability. You know, mm. you're thinking that like just that dunk, 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 like very even. Um, when your ANS is balanced, um, mm-hmm. you're able to do lots of things, pivot quickly. Um, your heart rate is more in that jazz mode. You can change mm-hmm. tempos at any time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so external forces, you know, if you want to think back to the music analogy, you know, if the, you know, the trumpeter or the pianist wants to do some sort of improvisation, the drummer can move quickly. He's able to, to change whatever he needs to to fit the things that are going on elsewhere in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like a very weird way of putting it. Um, yep. but long story short, <laughs> you are more rested and more ready to perform um, when you have a high HRV. Yes. Um, you are fatigued in some way or another. You know, we'll talk about those things when you have a low HRV. Yep. And the trick to that is it's up to you or your coach um, to kind of figure out and decipher what that stress could be. And then right. what's the, causing that what what's causing that low HRV. Right. And then and then yeah. make the adjustment. So right. that's kind of the long and short of HRV, you know, the yeah. trainer's guide. Yeah. Um because it could so, be something completely unrelated to training. But if fact, so that, many times it is. Yeah. Right. Because like, then if so, it's time to dial back the training and like, you know, um and let let other life stresses like even out not add not add training stress at a time when you've got a lot of life stress right right you yeah. need to get more ba- you know it's all about balance that's what everyone says right now and um you know it goes all the way down to your ans if your ans is imbalanced things aren't going to work out well you know so yeah. same thing in your life um yeah. so you know, you're probably like oh why is hrv so hot right now and part of that is because people like selling things <laughs> like, and really it's like gadgets yeah so it works out for us yeah. Um, but, but the other side of it is, uh, heart rate monitors are getting smaller, mm-hmm. more precise. Um, they wear down batteries, uh, slower than they used to. Um, you can wear them for longer. Um, a lot of this is to do with how optical heart rate monitors have gotten more popular on yeah. smartwatches basically. Um, as before, if you really want to use HRV effectively, you want to get a big picture of your HRV throughout the day and how it's changing, you know against things that you're doing, whether it's workouts or going to work or dealing with mm-hmm. the kids or, um, or, you know, meditating, you know, the opposite mm-hmm. side, resting. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be wearing a chest strap all the time to get all that data, yeah. um, to get a more complete picture. But now, yeah. you know, like 90% of smartwatches you'll find over, you know, $100, $200 have that little blinky light, you know, underneath the, the top of it. And that's an optical heart rate monitor. Yeah. Um, so now you're able to wear that 24 hours a day, wear it while you're sleeping. Um, it's not draining the battery. Um, it's relatively accurate for things like, you know, all day wear. Um, you know, we've talked about how it's not super accurate for like quick workouts and things like that, but, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it works. So like we were saying before, it's, it's going to kind of help add a dimension to that recovery and taper process. Um, that you know you may you, you may not be like oh my hrv is at 50 like that mm-hmm. that might not be um like the metric that you're looking at it might be used as a part of a greater you know collection of data to give you some sort of you know feedback um yeah. and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second but yeah um but in other words so if the best way to think about using hrv for a taper is um 
you'll use it to monitor how you're sleeping, how you're recovering from training, how much stress is general in your life. And then you'll want to pair that with something like a log um, yes. or an app. And you won't want to be like, all right, it's race week. I'm going to learn how to use HRV. You know, no, because like, really you want to have had this in, you know, be built into your training exactly. way before taper week so that you're really tapping into it during the, the blocks of training that, that are leading you into the race, right? Exactly. It's just like training itself. Like you wouldn't start training a week before. Um, and you're not right. going to try to figure out, decipher your recovery, um, you know, how you recover best, what stresses you out, what doesn't stress you out just the week before. Like you need to yeah. be putting that into practice every day, basically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in conjunction with a log um, is really the best way to kind of use that HRV information. Yeah. Um, seeing, okay, well, this raises mine, this lowers mine. These are some tools and tricks, you know, whether it's meditation or breathing mm -hmm. or more sleep or eating mm -hmm. more or more water. I mean, hydration, there's a million things. So that's yeah, so many you, factors. You, you've got to stay on top of it as you train so that like now come taper week, you're like, oh, my HRV is a little bit, a little bit low. What's that about? Oh, I see. Yeah. I slept five hours last night. Okay. I know right. how to fix that with, you know, obviously sleeping more or maybe altering my race week plan a little bit because your yeah. HRV is a little bit high. Yep. Um, so really like in a way it helps eliminate a lot of the nervous guesswork around yes. the taper. Yep. Um, and it allows you to make, you know, adjustments on the fly. Like that, yeah. that's the big thing. Cause like, you know, when you're going to a race, sometimes it's just down the street, but sometimes you're traveling. Right. Right. Um, and so you need to be like, okay, well, wow, that, that plane ride or, you know, that 10 hour car ride stressed me more than I thought it would, you know, traffic mm -hmm. was bad. My HRV is low. Um, I need to, you know, I need to do something about this. And yeah, I guess it, it and I guess it, it also, I mean, I've never, I've never used it in training in my own training or, um, or tapering or racing or anything, but I'm guessing this would give you kind of that heads up, like the alarm that something's up sooner yeah. than you would also maybe notice it without something you know without um, the technology you know you you might notice something like this you might notice that you're off you might notice that you're tired you might notice that you're stressed more than normal but you may only notice it when you come to rest in taper week which is when right. then some people start to really panic or right. get anxious or whatever exactly which, so can, using, which can cause yeah. even more stress you know, i know i'm stressed mm -hmm. because i'm stressed about my stress welcome to 2021 huh <laughs> yeah um but yeah, no, exactly. And, and so, you know, it allows you to put, you put yourself in a race week with all the tools you need to deal with unexpected challenges, um, to reduce, you know, just the nerves, like, mm -hmm. you know, like, look, my HRV is where it should be. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I'm it gives you that confidence. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, I talked with Vanessa about trusting in your training. And so that, yeah. that's another one that sort of, another factor that helps reinforce that, you know, that's that circle of like, yes, I've done the right thing. Uh, I've done all the right things. I'm, I'm coming up to my race and like HR, sometimes some people like to see that kind of data that helps yeah. reinforce what they're actually feeling. Like the subjective yes. information is backed up with objective information. So yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's um, a very cool tool. And it's, it's pretty new. Um, like in terms of its usefulness, because I think people mm -hmm. are still trying to understand yeah. what affects. And the reality is, you know, no company is going to be able to understand what affects you personally. Like right. it's, you know, it would be lovely if they could just send you an email. Hey, Chris, uh, you know, you shouldn't have had that, that last beer last night. Now your HRV is high, you know, well, nobody's going to open that email. Are they? Come on. That would be a good way to get unsubscribed. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
but, uh, but you know, it, it's kind of up to you for better or for worse. So it does take some diligence. No one's going to just kind of spoon feed you the, uh, the information for taper week. And that's why taper week is always, you know, I'm sure as the coaches spoke about it, sometimes it's kind of a, you know, a dark art in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. In fact, random tangent, because we always do random tangents on our segment. Um, I think it was Tim Reed who I read. Uh, he did on during his off season. He did like a HRV beer experiment <laughs> to see how see how much it affected his resting heart rate, and it was shocking. Like it, Ooh, you don't want to know. Like no. it was, yeah, it was too. It, the the impact was way more. Not way more, but it was it was enough to be like, oh oh yeah. If you have a few glasses of wine or a few beers, or whatever, like. Your resting heart rate is then elevated. Your heart, HRV is, is impacted, and then that obviously doing that once is fine. But then, like he was also kind of talking about the the knock on impact like, right. over over a period of time. So that's fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah. So there you go. That was that's one of our random tangents for, for this segment. <laughs> There'll be uh, more, folks. I, I, I promise. Love, hate that random tangent, by the way. Okay, that was <laughs> information. Yeah. I not to know. I know all these alcohol stories are kind of depressingly <laughs> no, accurate. Very <laughs> real. Yes. No. No. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So uh, to wrap up the HRV um, chat, then some of your favorite devices that you've uh, tested, used, incorporated in your own training. Um, yeah. I know you so, said you like the Polar Vantage, the V2. Yeah, and, and so before I launch into those real quick, I just want to make sure that I'm really highlighting the fact that HRV as a score is not mm-hmm. something that you're going to see in any, in almost any of the devices we talk about. Um, right. It'll be tugging along in the background, and you'll see that HRV data um, kind of come to a head in something like a body battery score or um, okay. some sort of training load recovery score, a nightly recharge mm-hmm. score. Th- these are the things that generally the companies will display that information and they'll use you know a better device will use hrv plus the workout you did yesterday or hrv mm-hmm. plus the workout you did yesterday plus your resting heart rate plus your quality of sleep um okay. you know and, and you'll get quality of sleep is like how much you toss around if you're wearing the watch yeah so yeah so sometimes you'll be like oh no you know chris talked about these devices but i don't see hr you know hrv as one of the data fields i mean you, sometimes you can find that but it's not quite as useful so You'll find okay. it wrapped up in a different language. Got it. Um, okay, that's good for, to know. Yeah, and for me, like I've I've always liked the Polar, and I know Jim is a fan of Polar. Um, they were one of the first ones to the heart rate game. Um, yeah. So, so they typically have the more um, accurate heart rate devices, um, mm-hmm. whether that's the optical on wrist or um, they make a super accurate chest strap. That's kind of like mm-hmm. the gold standard. Um, and if you're just like, you're like, Chris, I love all this HRV stuff you're talking about. I want all the data. Polar, um, Polar, sorry, Polar. Vantage V2 mm-hmm. is like, that is like a data junkie's dream. Mm-hmm. Um, 500 bucks, you know, it's not cheap. Um, yep. And stuff going to be way more like training, recovery data than, you know, like, seeing text messages and, um, yeah. you know, kind of that more fun lifestyle stuff. But, yeah. um, but it's, 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 a, it's got a staggering amount of data. Um, yeah. so I've, I've used that one. I've liked that. It's been very accurate, very consistent. Um, it does tell you that data in a easy to digest form. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not looking to spend 500 bucks, the reality is, um, Apple watches, they've all, Incorporated HRV into every model, I think, after yes. the original one. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's lots of different apps that you can use within the Apple Watch that'll take that data and, you know, 
transform it to something helpful. Yep. Um, they have their Apple Health app. Um, you know, so you those those start at like you know for old models, 100, 200, 300 bucks, kind of in there. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be the other side of it. You know, that's going to be way more of a lifestyle watch that still focuses on recovery well, but maybe doesn't have like you know the hardcore training features that something yep. like Polar would or like maybe a Garmin Forerunner you know, nine, four, five, seven, four, five would. Um, right. but it's still got great recovery stuff. You know, people, yes. people are always pretty happy with, um, with that setup. Yeah. So those are, those are kind of my two big, you know, on either side of the spectrum. Yeah. Preferred. yeah. Got it. Yeah. And so now we're going to do something a little bit scary, Chris. We're going to take, we're going to take the gear gadget, the gear gadget guru. See, I'm, I'm adding the G's for you today. Um, <laughs> and we're going to take we're going to, a little bit old school. So not, so no devices. We're going to talk more about the body uh, and the musculoskeletal system. And obviously there's one, you know, it's, it's one thing to have, you know, be monitoring your heart rate, monitoring your heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. But also as you go into taper week, you've got to be making sure that your body is feeling and you know, working well and firing well and all your muscles and all well, your, your body's ready to go. Obviously we've, we've already talked about how, you know, you've got to make sure that everything between your ears is ready to go, but your body looking after your body is important too. And things like, uh, the percussive devices that are, I mean, they're everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, I know that you were talking about that in terms of like, how do you, how do you get your body actually physically feeling good, ready to go, making sure that it's in its optimal condition on, on race morning, you know, in taper week. And and so obviously percussive devices were something that came up when we were talking about, when we were discussing some of the, the gadgets and gear that comes into the, that sits in the kind of tapering peaking um, space. So yeah, when, Tell us a little bit about, I mean, I mean, I'm pretty sure that most triathletes nowadays have a good idea of what a percussive massage device is. Yep. But um, for those of you who don't, Chris will, Chris will uh, <laughs> dive into his percussive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, kind of like you were saying, you know, that ANS, the, you know, all the, all the systems inside are one thing. But, you know, if, you're, if your HRV is super high, you're primed and ready to go, but you you know, head out into the water and every limb is stiff and sore and just, you know, full of lactic acid and stuff like that. You're not going to race well. You're not going to do your key workouts well. Um, so right now we're seeing a lot of these percussive devices, long and short of it, a percussive device is just, it's, um, it's almost like a little mini jackhammer. Yeah. That's going to like, you know, if you've ever had a massage where they, they do the little hands thing and you can't see it on video, on on a podcast, but I'm making the little hands motion. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like little hands and you're, and you're little able hands. to, yeah, little portable little hands. Um, and the idea is that you're increasing blood flow to these yeah. areas that you're using the, the percussive device on. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's good for triathletes because it's portable. Um, you can use yes. it on a variety of muscles, like, yeah. you know, some of the, um, compression stuff that was, has been popular in the last 10 years, you know, whether it's a, you know, a sock or, um, like a device, like a Norma tech, um, Mm -hmm. those are great, but not super, you know, portable. Um, they generally only work for one body part. Um, whereas a percussive device, uh, you know, you could use on basically anything. Yeah. Um, so this, this percussive massage device uses a, like a short striking force you know, like I said, the jackhammer, um, it'll have varying degrees of amplitude. Um, and amplitude is thinking about like how much throw the striking surface is putting in your muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to think on the lower end of amplitude, something like a, a vibration chair, you know, one yeah. of those, like you find at Brookstone or something that's very low amplitude. 
You know, it's just yeah. buzzing basically. It's not really yeah. throwing any distance um, into your muscle as you hold it. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got frequency. It's how fast it's hammering. Yeah. Um, you know, this is that high, medium, low setting you find on any kind of vibration or percussive device. Mm-hmm. Um, some people like love a higher frequency, um, but then really just like a variation is best for yeah. different muscle groups or situations. Um, yeah, right. Because there's some muscle groups, larger muscle groups where you can hammer, hammer that up and yeah. t- turn up the frequency and right. others like your car. You know, last night I was trying to do this on my calves and I was like, holy yes. cow. Yeah, you, you got to back it down. Up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so for, for amplitude, just to give everyone a, a general sense, you're looking at like 10 to 16 millimeters of amplitude. Um, for frequency, you're looking at um, it's uh, percussions per minute. So 1,500 to 3,200 is kind of like the range for mm-hmm. general devices. Um, mm-hmm. And then kind of the last thing that I think is super important is the, the surface type of the, mm-hmm. you know, what's actually striking you. Um, yes. And this is, you know, the tip of the the device many of them are replaceable especially yeah. now um you know not just the the shape of the tip but also the density of it you know yeah. is it this this hard plastic thing um or is it a softer piece of foam for like a more delicate muscle yeah um and again here just like in frequency you know a, a variation is better you know different different tips for different days and stuff. Yeah, like and I know different brands have, they have like, oh, here's your tip for the glutes or here's your tip for the quads and hammies or yeah. whatever. And yeah, so you can switch them out depending on what you've got, where you've got tightness or what you want to work on. Yeah, and those are great guides. Um, but I know I I know a bunch of people who use, you know, the quad one for their tricep. And, the, you know, right. so, so it's definitely worth playing around with those tips a little bit. Um, yeah. Because, you know, they just work. It's just like, you know, just like massage in general. Some people like a hard massage. Some people like... Yeah you know, a very pinpointed massage. Some people hate that. Um, So for sure, like the more tips and the more frequency um, you have, like the more options for that, the the better, more flexible the device will be. Um, And typically amplitude is just kind of more of a a straight setting. Um, So like, you know, when you're shopping around, knowing a little bit about how these things work, when you're shopping around, um, you know, there's a few things that I think are super important and a few things that these brands like to advertise that I don't think are super important um, mm-hmm. that just end up being marketing stuff. Like, yeah. like for me, it's like, look, if I'm not going to use the thing, it doesn't matter <laughs> how awesome it is. Like, yeah. so you really think, okay, what are your use cases? You know, you can use a percussive device to warm up for a workout. And a lot mm-hmm. of people like doing that. Yeah. Um, yep. You can use it immediately after to try to keep the blood flowing. You know, maybe you're about yep. to get in the car for a while and you want to yep. make sure you're not just stuck with all that, <laughs> you know, yep. all that stuff you just put in your legs. Uh, some people use it at night, you know, um, later after the workout. Some people use it the next morning so they can get ready for the day. Um, so, so think about where am I going to be using this thing? And then you got to think about size, you know, yes. like, will you actually be able to get it in a bag if you need to? Yeah, possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think size is super important. I think sound level is super mm-hmm. important. I mean, for yeah. some people you might not care, you know, say you live alone, you're in a single family house, you're out on the, the prairie, you know, no one can hear you for miles. You can have a back camera. <laughs> you don't like watching TV. You don't like listening to music. You like reading, whatever. This is quite a sad picture you're painting of I this know, person. Things got bleak real quick. Okay. So this is like the, the sad hermit one. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll keep going. Um, but you know, if, if, if you like to watch TV, for instance, while you do this thing or you have kids running yeah. around and you know, you don't want to disturb the neighbors, sound yep. is important. If you're yeah. too embarrassed to use the thing or it bothers people, you're not going to use it. 
Um, yeah, doesn't yeah. matter how awesome it is, if the size is right or anything. Yeah. Um, so I think that's huge. And we'll talk about, you know, what, what models I like for each of these things. But it's th these are the questions you need to ask yourself when you're actually shopping. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to use it? Where are you going to use it? Right. Um, if you want to be able to take it to training, uh, to training camps or races, like it's got to right. be portable and easy, easy to pack up. Right. Like um, if, if using if using your percussive massage massage device is something you do before key workouts and you're thinking ahead to race day, which will be the most key of all workouts. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, I can't bring it with me on race day. You know, okay, well, now you've just changed something that works for you. Yeah. Um, so you've got, got to think ahead about some of that stuff. Um, so which are the ones that, uh, that you've used, um, you know, come out on top in terms of testing and um, your, your preferred usage? Yeah, so uh, for sound, um, that sound level that I so grimly painted a picture about, um, <laughs> I, we've always liked the Hyper Ice line and the, mm -hmm. the Hyper Volt. Um, they do a, excuse me, they do... Um, the best with sound that we've found. Mm -hmm. um, they were the best, you know, three or four years ago when everyone was getting started. They're still yep. the best. Um, other companies have caught up, so you know, yep. it's not it's not like they're all super loud. But um, those ones start at like three hundred. Sometimes mm -hmm. you can find them on sale up to five hundred for Bluetooth, you know, connectivity and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but for like power, you know, and um, and variability, this is something we talked about a little bit with, uh, you know, just different speeds and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. and, and honestly, just ergonomics, like being able to hold yep. it and get yeah. to the muscles, you know, yeah. that's kind of important. That's important. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Theragun line was kind of the, they were one of the first, um, and they've done that very well. Um, yeah. And, and the, the noise on those have come down a lot in recent models. Um, those ones, same thing, 300 bucks. Mate. And they have a mini version, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so we're talking about portability. If, um, if the size is important or you want to get two for, for some reason, um, they have a mini that's far smaller than almost anything out there that works well. Mm -hmm. There's some small ones out there that don't work so well, but this one mm -hmm. is actually useful. Um, yeah. So the Theragun mini is great. Um, and if you're just like, yeah, you know, I think I like, I might like this thing. I don't know if I'll use it a lot, but maybe sometimes. And mm -hmm. you know, 300 bucks, geez, Chris, like, you know, my wife is going to kill me. My husband's going to kill me. Um, we like the, the Adaday line. For yes. lower priced units, um, yep. they have full size ones that start at like one hundred and fifty. Well, basically like half the price of the other ones. Um, yeah. and they have a lot of cool extras, like lots of tips and um, you know good amount of speeds. But we found that they're you know they don't have a ton of power, um, not a ton of amplitude. Um, if you're really like I'm digging deep, um, it's almost like your starter percussive like massage device. Yeah, um, and for some people that might be enough. Um, but you know, if you're just like, yeah, I need something really deep, really serious. I'm going to use it five days a week. Um, maybe not the ad a day. Yeah. And I think some of these are also good to use in tandem, not in isolation as a recovery, um, tool, but you know, in tandem with something else like compression boots or, um, f simple foam rolling or yeah. like just, uh, stretching mobility work in the evenings, whatever it is. Like, um, yeah. I, I mean, think they're really, when you, when you kind of like tag if you know for one of a better phrase tag team them with something else and they really come into their own i think yeah no you're totally right and this this goes against my gear guru gut see there we go more g's all g's um, all g's but but there is something to be said for the the simple things i mean literally like if you don't stretch and you don't use a foam roller and you don't take care of yourself hrv and percussive devices aren't going to do you any good at all um, yeah yeah so i guess you really got to start with 
good habits and you know yeah. taking care of yourself um, yeah there's kind of like the bread and butter there's a bread and butter things yeah. of like good sleep good good recovery good nutrition you know sim- good training and listening to your body and then then you can get when you've got all those covered then you yeah. can dive into the weeds of hrv and percussive yeah. devices and, and all the things but yeah so yeah we should we should put that disclaimer out there yeah 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 these yeah. won't these aren't a cure-all um but they're definitely you know the icing on the cake yeah. Okay. So just before we um, before we close and we say goodbye to the gear guru for this for this month, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you right. about your best and worst tapers when you were racing. Oh my gosh! So my I know you're going to have some funny stories. <laughs> so my my thing with the taper, and I don't think this was a coach, so I don't want to like throw shade on anyone who coached me. But my thing was, oh go on. If it's gonna go wrong, it's gonna go wrong on taper week. For so sure. My thing for tapering was no plan. Um, mm. Try not to stick to the same anything. And this mm-hmm. didn't always work. So this is not great advice. But um, I mean, I had some of my best races when like the fire alarm went off in the hotel the night before. Um, but because I'm like, okay, well, I don't have to get up, you know, right at five and I don't have to eat this specific thing, um, especially for my situation, because probably like you, you know, you're traveling a lot. Mm-hmm. And so you, you're not going to have access to, um, you know, the foods you always like or access to roads or pools or whatever. So you just got to make do a lot. So for me, it was like, but, but to be fair, I, I also trained this way. So it wasn't like I threw caution in the wind the week of taper. It mm-hmm. was generally just like, okay, I don't like, you know, having like, a. am uh, trying to think of the best way to put it, like, a. You know, too much set, structure. Yeah, too much structure. Too much of a set plan that that if it yeah. went off the rails, um, it would throw me. Um, right. Okay. I, so I'd be like, oh, something's off the rails. Great. You know, like I assumed something would go off the rails, and so right. this, this is part of my taper plan. So, um, but that is an approach. I mean, and I I did do it in training as well. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, that's interesting then. Cause so, so you wouldn't be, you would not be enjoying probably working under Jim Vance then in your days, because he, <laughs> he, ha- he was talking about his taper structure and how his athletes know what they're doing every hour of the day. Oh no! So, yeah, no, it's no, all no, mapped no. out. There's, there's no room for, no margin for error, no, no uh, scope for wandering off and doing like a bunch of media interviews and oh. spending a bunch of time in the sun on your feet. So yeah. See that would that sounds like your idea of a nightmare. Yeah, that would stress me out big time. I yeah. just because just because I knew that with my racing situation that there were going to be just so many curveballs and yeah yeah so yeah um, but I'm sure that works for a lot of people. I mean, his athletes have done very very well. So right, you know, right, right, just right. Yeah. different personalities. But yeah, and also comes comes back to the point of tapering is so incredibly unique and individual to to everyone you know like it's yeah. what, what works what works for one person is going to be the other person's absolute nightmare yes so, absolutely yeah. yeah i think that's totally true and and you know but you know equipping yourself with the tools you know to to help you adapt on that week i think are yeah. are very important too yeah cool cool chris thank you as always for your time and expertise yeah, and we we'll look forward to connecting with you next month yep thanks ek cheers Okay, hopefully you're now a little more in the know when it comes to peaking and tapering for your next race. Thank you for joining us on this month's Fitter and Faster. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Fitter and Faster wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate and review us. It helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. We'll be back next month with our next show. But until then, happy training.